Due to the graphic nature of this dictator's reign, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of murder and sexual situations that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. On a September day in 39 CE, at the center of the Taurian Amphitheater in Rome, five of Rome's bravest spilled their blood for the people's pleasure. The crowd roared with excitement as they watched the gladiators below them fight to the death. Sitting in the imperial box was 27-year-old Roman Emperor Caligula, who watched with a scowl on his face. He had a lot on his mind. In a few days, he was leaving Rome to head west. He was planning to do something no other Roman leader had done before, conquer the Britons. Unfortunately, he had no way to pay for this expedition. Not even the sight of gladiators could distract him. In the afternoon, Caligula's cousin, King Ptolemy of Mauritania, arrived to watch the games. Ptolemy ruled over a section of North Africa as a client king, and he was one of the richest men in the empire. As Ptolemy waved to the crowd basking in its cheers, Caligula stared at his cousin in a seething rage. How dare he receive such adulation? But then an idea suddenly came to Caligula, a solution for all his troubles, a source of funds for his military campaign. He could seize Mauritania and consolidate the region into the empire entirely. All Caligula needed to do was eliminate his cousin. Welcome to Dictators, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Richard. And I'm Kate. You can find all episodes of Dictators and all other originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Today we continue our discussion of the Julio-Claudian dynasty with Caligula. One of the most infamous Roman emperors in history, he ruled from 37 CE to 41 CE. Once in power, Caligula became known for his cruelty and insanity. Last week, we followed Caligula's time as Emperor Tiberius's prisoner on the island of Capri and how Caligula survived Sejanus's dismantling of Caligula's family. We also explored Caligula's transformation from a benevolent ruler into a tyrant. This week, we'll examine the rest of Caligula's reign over Rome, how he considered himself a god and attempted to conquer Britain, and we'll dissect the assassination plot that brought Caligula's brief rule to a bloody end. Coming up, We'll dive into the tumultuous reign of Caligula. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. In March 37 CE, 24-year-old Gaius Julius Caesar Germanicus, better known as Caligula, became the third emperor of Rome. After surviving years of plots against his family by his father's enemies and being held prisoner on Capri by Emperor Tiberius, Caligula was now the most powerful man in Rome. When he took the throne, the Roman aristocracy was thrilled. After two decades of ineffectual rule by Tiberius, the people were ready for a strong leader. Caligula seemed like a new hope. And in the initial months of his reign, Caligula appeared to prove those hopes warranted. With the support of Macro, the commander of the Praetorian Guard, Caligula began to institute effective popular reforms. He reformed the tax system and enacted new voting regulations that actually made elections more democratic. At the same time, he began massive public works programs. When Emperor Tiberius died, the Roman treasury had between 2 billion and 3 billion sisterses. Flush with cash, Caligula refurbished temples and built highways and aqueducts throughout the entire empire. He was draining the treasury, but no one was worried about that yet. A new era in Rome had appeared and it seemed like Caligula's name would be inscribed in the history books, along with his beloved great-grandfather, Augustus. But then, six months into his reign, Caligula suddenly changed. Some historians believe it was a near-death illness that caused Caligula to snap. Others say it was a pre-existing condition that suddenly escalated. Regardless, Caligula was now a different man. And by March 38 CE, the 25-year-old Caligula rid himself of his counselor, Macro. Macro had been the only one who was able to keep Caligula in line, especially when it came to spending or major decrees. Now, no one could control the young emperor, and Rome became his fiefdom. If Macro's removal freed Caligula to do as he pleased, it was another sudden tragedy a few months later that pushed him entirely over the edge. In late spring, Caligula went on tour of the empire. He eventually made his way to Sicily and oversaw the beginning of the Athenian games in Syracuse. And by the time he arrived, the empire had been struck by an unknown disease. One of the victims was Caligula's favorite sister, Julia Drusilla, who he allegedly was found in bed with when he was a teenager. Caligula immediately rushed back to Rome and waited by Drusilla's side for her to recover. Unfortunately, she never did. And on June 10, 38 CE, the 21-year-old Drusilla died. Caligula took Drusilla's death incredibly hard. According to ancient historians, the emperor refused to go to the public funeral because he was so grief-stricken. Instead, he sequestered himself in a country estate and distracted himself with dice and board games. 
After nine days of mourning, Caligula resumed his tour around the empire. But he was still consumed by grief. He even refused to shave and grew a beard. When he finally returned to Rome later that summer, Caligula began to bestow Drusilla with posthumous honors. One honor included making Drusilla a god, although it's unclear whether or not this was Caligula's idea. Ancient historian Seneca only notes that the Senate passed a measure that deified her around late summer or early fall of 38 CE. Allegedly, Senator Livius Geminus testified that he witnessed Drusilla ascending to the heavens. Geminus was then paid a million surstices for the testimony. It is quite likely that Caligula bribed a senator to get the measure passed. After all, Caligula himself believed that he was a god. And if he was a god, then that must mean his sister was too. Soon, a statue of Drusilla was placed inside the forum, and citizens were required to swear oaths invoking her name. Finally, just for good measure, Caligula demanded that Drusilla's deification be celebrated with gladiatorial games and chariot races, an expensive honor, but Caligula was no stranger to lavish spending. Not long after deifying his sister, Caligula married his third wife, Lalia Polina, but the marriage only lasted six months. In the spring of 39 CE, the 26-year-old Caligula divorced Lalia claiming that she was barren and unable to produce an heir. There may be another reason for the divorce, however. A year earlier, Caligula had had a brief affair with a wealthy socialite named Melonia Caesonia. Eight months later, Caesonia showed up to the palace, pregnant. After divorcing Lalia, Caligula secretly married Caesonia. The marriage wasn't made public until after Caesonia gave birth. And of course, once the baby was born, he named his new daughter after his departed sister, Julia Drusilla. It may have been a shotgun wedding, but by all accounts, Caligula genuinely liked his new bride. So much so that Sisonia became one of his most trusted confidants, and the two were rarely seen apart. According to historian Stephen Dando Collins, with Sisonia now constantly at his side, Caligula progressively lost interest in the finer details of government and lost interest in Rome. Instead, his attention was divided in half, spending time with his family and trying to etch his name into history among the other Roman greats. Around the time he was starting a family, Caligula came up with one of the most egregious and wasteful spending projects of his reign the construction of a three-mile-long bridge made of pontoons, smallish boats with an open, flat surface known for their buoyancy. It is unclear exactly how or when Caligula came up with his idea to build a floating bridge. One ancient historian claims that it was done to disprove a prophecy that Caligula had a better chance at riding a horse across the Bay of Bayi than he did at becoming emperor. Others say it was an attempt to emulate the Persian king Xerxes, who used a floating bridge to cross into Greece. And another theory claims that in his desire to prove that he was a god, he wanted to show that he could control the sea better than the god Neptune. And historian Stephen Dando Collins believes it may have really been a propaganda stunt. 
Caligula wanted to scare Germanic tribes with the might of Rome's military construction. Most evidence points to this theory, since Caligula's father, Germanicus, once constructed a massive bridge of his own. And Julius Caesar famously used the military to build a bridge across the Rhine River during his conquest of Gaul. In all likelihood, Caligula looked to his ancestors for inspiration and, more than anything, wanted to outdo them. It is unclear exactly how long it took to build the three-mile-long floating bridge, but a few facts have survived the centuries. It was built by the Praetorian Guard, it was constructed of pontoons, and it stretched from the Naples town of Putiali to the naval base at Mycenaeum. On July 21st, 39 CE, Caligula dressed in Alexander the Great's breastplate, decked himself in gems from India, and put on a purple robe and golden crown. Then he rode across his floating bridge. Behind him were roughly 1,000 Praetorian guards, all carrying their shields and spears as if going into battle. Two days later, Caligula crossed the bridge again. On this second trip, Caligula rode in a chariot pulled by his favorite racehorse, Incatatus. This time around, Caligula was joined by family members, friends, and political prisoners. During the second crossing, Caligula stopped in the middle of the bridge. In the bay before him were ships full of troops, and in a booming voice, he declared, I am an undertaker of great enterprises. You are men who have undergone great hardships and perils in this achievement of yours in crossing through the sea. Once Caligula made it to shore, he paid his men a bonus. And that night, they all feasted like kings and drank themselves into a stupor. During the drunken festivities, they used some of the ships to reenact sea battles. Caligula personally captained one of the vessels and rammed into his friends. Allegedly, many of these men ended up in the bay and drowned. Ancient historians have criticized Caligula's floating bridge as a prime example of his madness. It was a project that did nothing but placate Caligula's vanity while draining Rome's coffers. Or perhaps it was all part of a bizarre plan to train his men for battle. Maybe, as historian Stephen Dando Collins posits, the whole project was a training exercise for Caligula's soldiers. The emperor wanted to see how quickly and efficiently his soldiers could build for battle. And in his increasingly twisted, reckless mind, if they could build a bridge made of boats, surely they could take on the barbarians. But whether or not the bridge was an illogical, unbelievably expensive training exercise, or just pure narcissistic madness, Caligula was about to launch a project that clearly demonstrated he was out of touch with logic, practicality, and the well-being of his people. After months of secret planning, he was going to conquer Britannia. Coming up, Caligula orders his men to collect seashells to honor their glorious triumph in Gaul. Hello, listeners. It's Richard from Parcast Network. We all know that when it comes to love, every story is unique. Some play out like fairy tales, and some don't. 
In Our Love Story, the new Spotify original from Parcast, you'll discover the many pathways to love as told by the actual couples who found them. Every Tuesday, Our Love Story celebrates the ups, downs, and pivotal moments that turn complete strangers into perfect pairs. Each episode offers an intimate glimpse inside a real-life romance, with couples recounting the highlights and hardships that define their love. Whether it's a chance encounter, a former friendship, or even a former enemy, our love story proves that love can begin and blossom in the most unexpected ways. Follow Our Love Story free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. In the summer of 39 CE, 26-year-old Roman Emperor Caligula achieved a stunning and completely illogical architectural feat. In an attempt to outdo his ancestors, he built the world's largest floating bridge. Pontoons stretched for roughly three miles across the Bay of Bailly in present-day Naples. And in July, Caligula and 1,000 men of the Praetorian Guard marched across like conquering heroes. The reason for the construction was twofold. It was propaganda and a military training exercise. With the message sent that his troops were prepared for battle and glory, Caligula decided he was ready to head west and do something even Julius Caesar had failed to do, conquer Britannia. The idea of conquering Britannia wasn't a spur-of-the-moment idea percolating in the mad emperor's mind. In reality, it had been quietly brewing for months. Like everything concerning Caligula, there's debate as to why he wanted to head west. Some ancient historians say that tensions were high between Germanic tribes in Gaul or modern-day France. And as Caligula was preparing to suppress the Germans, he figured that since he was already in the area, he might as well head into Britain. Another historian suggests that a prince of the Britons had a falling out with his father, the king, and invited Caligula to conquer his father's kingdom. Whatever the reason, in the spring of 39 CE, Caligula was determined to campaign west, first in Gaul and then in Britannia. But first, he needed to raise funds to pay for the journey. His reckless spending on various public works programs and footing the bill for the chariot races had depleted the treasury. But Caligula had a solution to the funding problem. He decided to eliminate his cousin, Ptolemy of Mauritania. Mauritania was a stretch of land that made up parts of modern-day Algeria and Morocco. Caligula's cousin, Ptolemy, ruled over the region as the client king. In September 39 CE, on the eve of Caligula's departure, Ptolemy accompanied his cousin to the annual Great Games. Caligula was already in a foul mood, brooding over the plans to defeat the Britons and the issue of paying for it. 
When Ptolemy entered the amphitheater, he received a welcome befitting an emperor. Caligula was jealous of the reception, and he saw an opportunity. He immediately ordered Ptolemy's arrest and threw him in prison. The following spring, Ptolemy was executed. It was a despotic, reckless, but practical move. At the time, Mauritania was the wealthiest client kingdom in the empire, though it took a full year to complete. After the execution, Mauritania was split in two and annexed into the empire. As a result, Rome wouldn't just have to content itself with yearly tributes from the kingdom. All of Mauritania's wealth went into Rome's treasury. This made it possible not just to enrich Rome, but also to pay for Caligula's military campaign, a military campaign that was finally ready to launch. In late September 39 CE, 27-year-old Caligula set out west. Among the imperial party was the Praetorian Guard, Caligula's wife, his sisters, and Caligula's brother-in-law, Marcus Lepidus. Also with them were a party of actors and gladiators. Caligula demanded that he be entertained in between battles. In fact, Caligula treated the whole trip as an opportunity for amusement. The goal may have been to conquer Britannia by way of Gaul, but the reality was the entire affair was little more than a game. After all, everything seemed like a game in Caligula's twisted mind by now. According to ancient historian Dio, the emperor loved to gamble on dice. One day, while the entourage was in an unnamed Gallic town, Caligula decided to gamble with some friends. Fate was against Caligula, and he lost all of his money. But instead of calling it quits, Caligula allegedly had the richest men in town arrested, charged with a crime, and then executed. Once they were dead, Caligula acquired the dead men's fortunes and returned to the dice game. Life and death were just toys when you were an emperor and considered yourself a god. Historian Stephen Dando Collins notes that many of Caligula's critics would declare that this expedition to Gaul was all about making money, in however unjust a way. Perhaps there weren't tensions with the Germanic tribes that needed suppressing. Maybe all of it was a ploy to steal money from the Gallic people before gaining some glory by conquering Britannia. After all, by the time Caligula reached his destination of Lugdunum, known today as Lyon, it appears there wasn't much fighting. Sources differ on how much action the Romans saw in the fall and winter of 39 CE. But the general consensus was that it was next to none. Still, the campaign wasn't without bloodshed. While in Lugdunum, Caligula discovered plans for a coup, and the conspirators were his sisters and brother-in-law. Around October 19th, while still in Lugdunum, Caligula, without warning, ordered the arrests of his two sisters, Agrippina the Younger and Julia Lavilla, along with his brother-in-law, Marcus Lepidus. The trio was then charged with incest and conspiracy to dethrone Caligula. Also arrested and charged with treason was the governor of Upper Germany, Catullicus. Shockingly, this wasn't some make-believe excuse for Caligula to exercise his new hobby. 
killing people at the drop of the hat, nor was it a bout of paranoia. Caligula produced letters which incriminated the cabal. Agrippina wanted to replace Caligula with Lepidus. As for Governor Gatulicus, even today, historians debate his role in the matter. Many have concluded that he supported Lepidus's claim, giving Lepidus the backing of an essential region in the empire. In a very speedy trial, all four conspirators were found guilty. But Caligula, for all his disregard for most people's lives, didn't have it in him to execute his sisters. Instead, he banished both to the Pontian Islands, the same islands where Emperor Tiberius had sent their mother and older brother. Agrippina's young son, Lucius Domitius Ahenobarbus, was subsequently placed in the care of his paternal aunt, and his inheritance was stripped from him. Though his circumstance may have seemed dire, in less than two decades, he would take the throne and forever be remembered as Nero. Meanwhile, Lepidus and Gatulicus didn't receive any mercy. Both were sentenced to death and promptly beheaded. The drama of the plot twisted Caligula's internal logic and morals further than ever. He became convinced that all political exiles were at the very least praying to the gods that Caligula would die, if not worse. So, from his Gallic headquarters, Caligula ordered the executions of prominent political exiles throughout the empire. One famous tale relates how he ordered the former governor of Egypt, Flaccus, suffer a slow death. Allegedly, Caligula said, make him feel that he is dying. By the time the Praetorian guards were finished hacking Flaccus to pieces, his limbs fell apart as they tried to chuck the body into the grave. With conspirators and political enemies dealt with, it was finally time for the mission at hand, conquering Britannia. For the rest of 39 CE and the beginning of 40 CE, Caligula assembled 10 legions. Those 10 legions were joined by the Praetorian Guard and the German Guard, Caligula's fiercely loyal bodyguards. Caligula now had a military force estimated between 200,000 and 250,000 soldiers. It was one of the largest Roman armies ever assembled at the time. The writing was on the wall. Rome was about to make Britannia part of the empire. Except there was no invasion. Caligula moved his 200,000-plus army to the town of Gesoriacum, today known as Boulogne-sur-Mer. Located along the English Channel, the town sits roughly 30 miles from the coast of England. And yet, with Britannia in sight, the campaign was suddenly called off. To this day, no one knows why Caligula decided not to invade Britannia. But many modern historians believe that a mutiny might have been the cause. The soldiers refused to face the savage Britons. Initially, Caligula tried to bribe his soldiers with 400 sesterces each, but that didn't work. 400 sesterces only amounted to about half a year's wages. Annoyed and frustrated, Caligula turned to petty retribution. He decided to embarrass his men. He ordered his soldiers to go onto the French beach and collect seashells as trophies. As a final resort, 
Caligula ordered a decimation of the troops. Decimation was a Roman military tradition in which every tenth man was executed. However, as the troops threatened to fight back against the decimation, Caligula called off his plan and fled south. Despite the failed end to the Britannia campaign or any real military victory in Gaul, Caligula still wanted to be celebrated as a war hero. After all, he saw himself as a god. He deserved adulation. In May 40 CE, he returned to Italy and set up camp in Antium, about 30 miles from Rome. Messages were sent to the Senate demanding that he receive a triumph, the ceremonious military parade honoring generals. It is obvious that Caligula wanted to replicate the same honors his father, Germanicus, received back in 17 CE. Caligula demanded that the triumph take place on his birthday, August 31st. This gave the Senate two months to not only offer the triumph to Caligula, as was protocol, but also to organize the festivities. The problem, however, was that a triumph traditionally meant sharing the glory with the Senate. Caligula didn't want to share anything with them. This was supposed to be his day. So, in August, Caligula changed his mind and demanded an ovation. An ovation was a smaller version of the same honors, but the big difference was that it didn't require the Senate to be involved. On August 31st, 40 CE, Caligula finally returned to Rome after nearly a year away. But as he paraded through the streets on his way to the celebratory gladiatorial games, the 28-year-old emperor was in a terrible mood. Throngs of Romans gathered to honor Caligula, but instead of shouting, Hail Gaius, they yelled, Hail Young Augustus. It was likely meant as a compliment associating Caligula with the beloved former emperor. But in Caligula's warped mind, this was an indictment of his age. Caligula was too young to be a leader. Upon entering the stadium for the games, Caligula decided he would take his anger out on someone. His victim? Esius Proculus, a.k.a. the Giant Cupid. Proculus was the son of a centurion known to be quite handsome, hence the nickname. When Caligula spotted the Giant Cupid in the audience, he ordered the guards to grab him and put him into the arena to fight against the other gladiators. Proculus won back-to-back -back matches, which only angered Caligula more. After the second match, Caligula had Proculus shackled, dragged throughout the city, and executed. The sudden death of the giant Cupid soured the public against the emperor. It was the same reckless, despotic behavior he'd been exhibiting for some time. But this time, he'd gone after a well-liked Roman. It was different from harassing and killing wealthy men in Gaul. The general public weren't the only ones put off by Caligula's jealous display. Members of the aristocracy and military saw Caligula's bloodlust as a liability to Rome. Caligula was no Germanicus. And if Rome was to survive, perhaps it was time for a new emperor to take the throne. Coming up, a conflict in Jerusalem sends Caligula over the edge 
and a cabal forms to remove the young emperor from power. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to the story. In the summer of 40 CE, 28-year-old Caligula returned to Rome to celebrate his non-existent campaign into Britannia. After a year of gallivanting throughout Gaul, or modern-day France, the young emperor was back home with seashells as trophies. Unfortunately for him, his approval rating was beginning to tank. And with it, Caligula's rage grew with deadly consequences. Notably, when it came to a crisis among the empire's Jewish population. Two years earlier, when Caligula was beginning to claim that he was a god, he ordered that his statue be installed in synagogues. This was considered blasphemy by the Jewish population, whose religion prohibited them from worshiping idols. In Alexandria, Jews protested. The protests led to clashes with Alexandria's Greek population, who adhered to Caligula's deification. These confrontations eventually made their way into Judea. Things only heated up further in 40 CE when Caligula ordered that a statue of himself be erected in a Jerusalem temple. Many within the Jewish community were fed up. They sent a delegation to Rome to plead that Caligula rule on their mistreatment by the Greeks and stop the statue's construction. But Caligula didn't make a ruling. Not yet, at least. He told the delegation to return home and await his decision. Unfortunately, during that time, tensions only got worse. In the fall of 40 CE, Jewish farmers in Jerusalem went on strike, walking off their farms and refusing to harvest. Caligula, already displeased by the whole situation, became livid. Not only were the Jews refusing to revere him as a god, now they were trying to starve his empire. Caligula decided he would force the erection of his statue in the Jerusalem temple, which could have led to a serious explosion of tensions. Luckily, Caligula's friend, Herod Agrippa, intervened. Agrippa wrote to Caligula and urged him to put aside the statue project. He argued that it was a Roman tradition to allow Jews to observe their traditions and practice their faith in peace. He even cited Julius Caesar, who allowed Jews special rights back in 47 BCE when they saved Caesar in Egypt. Caligula was both angry and moved by Agrippa's letter. However, he didn't respond. 
The lack of response worried Agrippa, so Agrippa decided to throw a feast to placate Caligula's vanity. It worked. Caligula got drunk, toasted Agrippa, and requested that they make amends. Agrippa's only request was that Caligula put an end to the statue building in Jerusalem. Caligula begrudgingly agreed. Unfortunately, Agrippa's intervention didn't completely sweep away the fallout from the whole episode. The conflict dangerously exacerbated Caligula's already volatile paranoia. He became convinced that each act of defiance would inspire others, and he became especially concerned with plots to overthrow him. So, turning to his favorite sport of ordering arbitrary arrests and executions, Throughout November and December of 40 CE, Caligula started going after the Roman aristocracy. The only person who seemed safe, even in Caligula's inner circle, was his wife, Caesonia. Though at times, he even questioned her loyalty. He allegedly asked her, Why are you so devoted to me? I should have you tortured to find out. The great irony was that Caligula's mission to eradicate any threats actually inspired legitimate assassination plots. Most of them failed or the conspirators backed down. However, one man was determined to put an end to Caligula's tyrannical reign. His name was Cassius Chiria. Cassius Chiria was a long-standing member of the Praetorian Guard who knew Caligula his entire life. Back in 14 CE, Chiria helped suppress the mutiny that plagued Caligula's father, Germanicus. The motives behind Chiria's plot to assassinate Caligula were twofold. The ancient historian Josephus wrote that Chiria was something of an old-school warrior. He saw that it was his duty to save Rome when under threat, even from within. However, Roman historian Dio claimed that the real motivations were personal. Since becoming emperor, Caligula often made jokes at Chiria's expense. Plus, Chiria was forced to go around and collect taxes, a job unbefitting of a member of the Praetorian Guard. Whatever the real motivation, by the end of 40 CE, Chiria knew that Caligula had to go. Chiria was not alone in his desire to see the emperor eliminated. He soon recruited the commander of the German guard, Cornelius Sabinus. From there, Sabinus looped Chiria in with a group of senators who had once worked on their own assassination plan. The two groups merged. At the start of 41 CE, the Cabal learned that Caligula planned a trip to Egypt on January 25th. They decided that the perfect time to assassinate him was during the Palatine Games, which were to be held just before his departure. However, some of the members began to have second thoughts. So, on the evening of January 23rd, Chiria called a meeting. He informed the conspirators that he was on duty as head of the Praetorian Guard the following day. With that, he would be one of the few men allowed to carry a sword near Caligula and would deliver the first blow. This eased the more apprehensive members' fears. The job would get done, and they wouldn't have to shed the first blood. The conspiracy was a go. On January 24th, 41 CE, Caligula arrived at the amphitheater on Palatine Hill. 
The amphitheater was located near the royal palace, and hidden tunnels connected them to protect the emperor from the public. After members of the public filed in, Caligula made his grand entrance. Next, an offering was made to Augustus. Then, Caligula and his entourage, including his uncle Claudius, Chiria, and Sabinus, and varying senators, went to the imperial box. From there, they watched the gladiatorial games and a series of plays. Finally, during a break in the games, Caligula decided it was time for lunch. Using the hidden tunnels once again, the imperial party made their way back to the royal palace. However, as they were passing a hallway in the tunnels, Caligula heard the sounds of a boys' choir echoing against the stone walls. Mesmerized by their voices, Caligula decided to turn down the hallway to listen for a few minutes. While the others continued on, Churia and Sabinus stayed behind with the emperor. What happened next depends on who you ask. In one version, Churia saw this as his moment to strike. He drew his sword and planted it in Caligula's neck when Caligula wasn't looking. Then Sabinus took out his sword and rammed it in the emperor's chest. In another version, Chiria honorably faced Caligula when he drew his sword and planted it between his neck and shoulder. Yet another historian writes that Chiria practically decapitated Caligula with a single swing. In all the versions, however, once Chiria and Sabinus made their first strikes, the rest of the cabal rushed into the passage and proceeded to stab Caligula a total of 30 times, after which... 28-year-old Roman Emperor Caligula was dead. Hearing the commotion, several men of the German guard rushed into the passage. Sabinus told them that the real assassins had escaped. Grief-stricken, the German guard rampaged throughout the theater searching for the killers. Though they did kill some of the real conspirators, including some senators, they also killed many innocent bystanders, it was total pandemonium. A city crier managed to put an end to the chaos. He made his way to the stage and in a booming voice announced that Caligula was dead. When the words hit the German guard's ears, it finally sunk in that their emperor was gone. And it meant that they didn't have an emperor to protect. So they laid down their swords. In the meantime, two issues now needed to be addressed what to do with Caligula's wife and daughter, and who should become the new emperor. Churia argued that this was a chance to restore the Republic, and to that end, the imperial family should be eliminated. Some argued that killing Sisonia and the infant Julia was too cruel. But when it came to the royal family, Churia won the debate. That evening, a guard named Lupus entered the royal palace. Once inside, he found Sisonia weeping over Caligula's body, her clothes drenched in his blood. When she saw Lupus, Sisonia cried out in anguish. She claimed she had begged Caligula to be less cruel, proclaiming, if only he had listened to me. Sisonia believed she was in the presence of a friend, However, once she saw Lupus draw his sword, she realized why he was here. There was no way she could resist. 
She got on her knees and stuck her neck out. With a single swipe, Lupus decapitated Sisonia. Then Lupus went to the crib nearby, grabbed the infant Julia, and bashed her head against the wall. Cheria wouldn't win all the arguments that followed Caligula's death, however. The Republic was not restored. Instead, the Senate ultimately agreed to recognize Caligula's uncle Claudius as the new Roman emperor. During the chaos at the amphitheater, Claudius had fearfully hidden behind a drape. When a guard discovered him, the man shouted, Here is a Germanicus. Let's make him our emperor. With that, Claudius had the support of the German guard. Soon, he also had the night watch and the city guard support, virtually the entire police force of Rome. The Senate had little choice but to accept Claudius as the new emperor. Claudius's first act as emperor was dealing with his nephew's assassins. Almost immediately, he arrested the major players, including Chiria and Lupus. For reasons that aren't entirely clear, Sabinus was spared and continued his role as commander of the German guard. Chiria, meanwhile, didn't put up much of a defense. He prided himself on killing Caligula and knew his fate was sealed. Before he died, Cheria made one request. He wanted the executioner to use the same sword used against Caligula. The request was granted, and in a single blow, Cheria's head was detached from his body. With the assassins eliminated, Emperor Claudius went about purging Caligula from the collective consciousness. Statues and temples honoring Caligula were destroyed. Coins with Caligula's face were melted and reminted. Edicts and proclamations made by Caligula were reversed. And political prisoners and exiles were freed or allowed to come home. Among those allowed to return to Rome were Caligula's sisters, Agrippina the Younger and Julia Lavilla. Less than 10 years later, Claudius married Agrippina, the exiled sister was now empress. Four years of tyrannical rule were finally over. The bloody, ruthless purges, the reckless, illogical spending that had nearly bled the empire's coffers dry, the paranoia and narcissism all over. Or so it seemed. Unfortunately for the Roman people, if they thought the death of Caligula saved them from tyranny in the future, they were sorely mistaken. Caligula's legacy would live on in his nephew, Emperor Lucius Domitius Ahenobarbus, known to history as Nero. Thanks for listening to Dictators. Next week, we'll begin our dive into the life of Caligula's nephew, Nero. You can find all episodes of Dictators and all other originals from ParCast free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. Dictators was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound design by Mike Ramos, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Bruce Skatovich. This episode of Dictators was written by Joe Guerra with writing assistance by Kate Gallagher and stars Kate Leonard and Richard Rossner.
Hi, it's Richard again. Searching for your new favorite show? Remember to follow the newest Spotify original from Parcast, Our Love Story. Every Tuesday, catch an intimate glimpse inside a real-life romance with couples recounting the highlights and hardships that define their love. Listen to Our Love Story free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.